Good morning. Please take your bulletins and go along with me as I read the scripture. That will be our focus for this morning. And join me in prayer as we pray for God to illuminate his word. Lord Jesus, on this morning we celebrate the fact that darkness reigned on Friday and Saturday, but on Sunday, light broke forth. And your light, you the light of the world, have been shining over this world and in our hearts ever since. We praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit, for this great victory, this great illumination. And we pray, as this word is opened to us by our brother this morning, that you will fill his heart with your illumination, fill our ears and minds and hearts with your illumination, and through us, spread your light into this dark world. Bless now this word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading this morning from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. I don't think it was announced earlier, but if you're visiting with us, um, please note that there's a welcome card on the back page of the bulletin, and you're invited to tear that off, and there's a basket on the information table where you can place that after the service. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Like many of you, I woke up this morning to the news um, of this horrible bombing in uh, Sri Lanka, actually multiple bombings in Sri Lanka, uh, uh, three of them at churches uh, celebrating uh, their Easter services. Uh, and uh, one, one of the news reports announced uh, that uh, from another church where there hadn't been a bombing, people started to receive texts and uh, immediately told the pastor in the front of the service, and they, they cleared out the room. 
Can you imagine uh, that happening uh, here today? It sort of puts uh, in a different light uh, this, the great joyful celebration that we're having here as we celebrate the resurrection. And it reminds us that we do that uh, still in the midst of, of such a broken world, marked by so much death and destruction. Uh, uh, but we also remember that uh, the, the message that we celebrate is the same one that we celebrated and remembered on Good Friday, that the God we worship, the God who promises resurrection from the, the dead, doesn't do that from a distance, but he moves close to the suffering and the, and the hurting. He enters into death himself in order to bring new life. And so if you're here today, and uh, you're perhaps reading that news or, or looking at the world uh, and uh, the, the horrible things that, that you see or, or that you know from your own experience, uh, it's, it's easy to come to this story that we just heard, uh, not with faith, uh, but with doubt. Uh, and in fact, on this Easter evening that we just read in John 20, uh, the disciples themselves, Jesus' own followers, uh, came to this event, uh, not with faith, but with doubt. In, in John 20, the disciples have already been told by some of the women that Jesus is risen. Uh, some of the men have gone to see the empty tomb, but they don't understand, and, and they're afraid. And Thomas is the most doubtful of all. He doesn't even show up until a week later. Uh, I love these accounts of uh, the resurrection day because we can all find ourselves in these stories. Believers and unbelievers, and all of us who are often somewhere in between. And this morning, I want to invite you to consider three things uh, that we uh, can learn from John 20 today. First, the reality of Easter. Second, the meaning of Easter. And third, the power of Easter. Now, let's start with the reality of Easter. When Christians confess that Jesus rose again on the third day, uh, they're saying that he didn't just rise in spirit, or metaphorically, or, or symbolically. They're saying that he rose bodily, with flesh and blood. The story of Thomas makes this clear, that, that this is what the first Christians intended. Unless I see the marks of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas doesn't allow for a metaphorical resurrection. That's not how he understands the disciples' claim to have seen the Lord. And when Jesus comes back a week later, he invites Thomas to see him and to touch him. And it's this reality that he experiences that leads to the response, my Lord and my God. We find the same thing in the rest of the New Testament. After he is risen, Jesus eats with people, he walks with them, he teaches, he appears to hundreds of people who claim that Jesus is alive. Now, if the gospel writers want to convince us of this, that Jesus rose bodily, and, and it appears that they do, there's something else important for us to notice. If the apostles were just making up stories to convince people that this had happened, they wouldn't have made up stories like these. They include some very strange and mysterious details. 
by Jesus entering this locked room where the disciples are gathered. Earlier, Mary doesn't recognize Jesus at first in the garden. It's very strange. After 40 days, we're told that Jesus disappears into heaven. If the author's goal was only to support Orthodox Christian teaching that, you know, about Jesus' bodily resurrection, he would have left out those kinds of strange and mysterious details, wouldn't he? And instead, what we find in these reports is continuity and, and discontinuity with our own experience of human bodies, which is maybe what we should expect for someone who has entered into death and then come out the other side. It seems much more likely that the gospel writers were recording their experiences honestly, even when they themselves didn't understand everything that was happening and how all the pieces fit together. What I'm saying is that we misunderstand the reality of Easter if we think that the early Christians were just the kinds of people who believe these sorts of strange stories because they were religious people or, or gullible people or, or ignorant people. What Thomas and the other disciples show is that they were people who didn't expect the resurrection and didn't even believe it at first, but became convinced that it was true. Really, this brings us to the heart of the, the Christian faith. The Christian story is not a story of spiritual people who are ready on Easter to embrace the risen Jesus. It's not the story of smart people who are able to figure it all out on their own. It's a story of doubting, uncertain, confused, broken people whom Jesus moves towards and whom he blesses. It was only after the disciples believed that they began to understand the real meaning of the resurrection. So, so what do we learn about that meaning here? First thing we, we can say is that the resurrection is not the same as a resuscitation. It was a, a busy news week, but perhaps some of you caught a story uh, this week with a title something like, Scientists Restore Some Function in the Brains of Dead Pigs. Uh, did you catch that one? This was a report about a new study published in the journal Nature about a Yale University research team that revived brain activity in the brains of dead pigs hours after they were killed in a slaughterhouse. NPR reported that the Yale University research team is careful to say that none of the brains regain the kind of organized electrical activity associated with consciousness or awareness Still, the experiment showed that a surprising amount of cellular function was either preserved or restored. The implications of this study have staggered ethicists as they contemplate how this research should move forward and how it fits into current understanding of what separates the living from the dead. The first thing I thought when I heard this story is I'm so thankful for the scientists that we have in this room who bring the resources of Christian ethics to bear on scientific research. We need you. Uh, and the work that you're doing is so important. But let's just imagine for a minute that this kind of research goes forward, and, and I'm, I'm kind of doubtful about that. But let's say that it does, and one day in the future, scientists are able to bring uh, brain activity, even awareness, back to a human being. Have we explained Jesus' resurrection? No. 
Because the meaning of Easter is about so much more. It's about what God is doing through Jesus for the whole world. Let me explain what I mean. There, there are three details in John 20 that, that, show, that show this. First, first, in verse 19, John is careful to highlight uh, that what happens here is still on the first day of the week. When it was evening on that day, the, the first day of the week, he says. He had already said this in verse 1 of, of chapter 20. When Mary arrives at the, the tomb in the dark, he's, he's also careful to say that it was the first day of the week. Now, he says it twice to make his point that just as God rested in Genesis 1 on the seventh day, Jesus rested in the tomb on the seventh day, on the Sabbath. And just as God began the creation on the first day, Jesus' resurrection is the dawn of a new creation. That's the first detail. It's the first day, the day of creation and new creation. The the second detail makes this even more clear. In verse 22, he breathed on them. You notice that? He breathed on them. This is sort of a strange thing for him to do, isn't it, in that room? It it makes a lot more sense when you realize that the Greek word that is used here uh, is also used in, in two other important places in the Septuagint, in the, the Greek translation of the, the Hebrew Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God creates Adam, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It's the, the same word from John 20. And in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 37, there's the, uh, the famous vision of the valley of dry bones where the prophet is told to command breath to bring new life uh, to the dead bones. Ezekiel 37, 9 says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, form the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So Jesus, on this Easter day, he comes to his disciples and he breathes on them echoing creation and, and resurrection for them. And finally, Jesus tells the disciples to, to receive the Holy Spirit. And this reminds us of the, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters in Genesis 1. And really, John has been echoing uh, Genesis from the very beginning of his gospel. Uh, you remember how Genesis begins? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And and just as God's first words in the Bible are, let there be light, the Gospel of John says in 1.9, the true light that gave light to everyone was coming into the world. What does all this mean, these motifs of creation and new creation and resurrection from the dead? N.T. Wright summarizes, The point of the resurrection is not simply that the creator God has done something remarkable for one solitary individual, as people today sometimes imagine is the supposed thrust of the Easter proclamation, but that in and through the resurrection, the present evil age has been invaded by the age to come, the time of restoration, return, covenant renewal, and forgiveness. An event has occurred as a result of which the world is a different place 
and human beings have the new possibility to become a different kind of people. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong to it. So often, we resign ourselves to to patterns of thinking, addictions, unhealthy relationships because we believe that nothing can really be different. When you believe that Jesus is risen, it means that no matter what your experience is like today, that things can change, that you can change because Jesus is alive. But this means turning away from our fears to let Christ breathe on us. C.S. Lewis uses this image beautifully in the Chronicles of Narnia, actually more than once, but in the book Prince Caspian, the, the four Pevensey children are lost in Narnia, and none of them believe that their sister Lucy has seen the Lion King Aslan. Uh, the elder sister Susan is the most unbelieving. She's the last to follow Lucy and, and the most doubtful. Therefore, she's also the last of the four to finally see Aslan. And when she does, uh, she says to Lucy, I've been far worse than you know. I really believed it was him yesterday when he warned us not to go down to the firwood. And I, and I really believed it was him tonight when you woke us up. I mean, deep down inside. Or I could have, if I'd let myself. But I just wanted to get out of the woods and, oh, I, I don't know. And whatever am I to say to him? Perhaps you won't need to say, perhaps you won't need to say much, suggested Lucy. Lucy is right. When Aslan turns to Susan, uh, he says her name, which makes her cry. But then he says, You have listened to fears, child. Come, let me breathe on you. Forget them. Are you brave again? This brings us to our last point, that the power of Easter. In John 20, as Jesus speaks with the disciples and and with Thomas, he does two things. He announces peace, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands with the nail holes in them and his side where he was pierced by the spear on the cross. In other words, his word of peace is not an empty symbol. It's an objective promise supported by his death and and his resurrection. And it's in this confidence that he he gives them the Holy Spirit and he he sends them with the, the message of forgiveness to the whole world. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Some people read this and they think that this is some kind of special, you know, apostolic or or priestly power to decide who gets forgiven and who doesn't. It's a big misunderstanding. You you have to understand verse 23 in relationship with what Jesus has said in verse 21. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. We emulate Jesus when we proclaim the forgiveness of sins to the world and invite others to believe the message. Let me offer you a story of 
of what this looks like. I read this recently in a magazine called Mockingbird, and it's about a pastor and professor of church history at Luther Seminary uh, named Jim Nestengen. Uh, Jim is a huge six foot six Minnesotan, and as the story goes, Jim was boarding a plane to fly coast to coast when he saw who he would be sharing a row with, a man just as big as him. And they awkwardly wedged up against one another and exchanged niceties, preparing for the long haul, basically sitting in one another's laps. And in response to the obligatory job question, Jim said, I am a preacher of the gospel. The man next to him responded loudly, almost allergically, I'm not a believer. (laughs) Jim assured him that that was okay, and they kept talking, and it turned out that the man had been an infantryman in Vietnam, and ever since had carried with him all the awful things he'd seen and done there. As the plane flew from one end of the country to the other, the man dumped his entire story out into the lap of Jim, his, his seatmate. And when he had finished, Jim asked the man, Have you confessed all the sins that have been troubling you? The man balked. Confess? I haven't confessed anything. Jim boomed back. You've been confessing your sins to me this whole flight long. And I've been commanded by Christ Jesus that when I hear a confession like that, to hand over the goods and speak a particular word to you. So you have any more sins burdening you? If so, throw them in there. To which the man balked again. No, that's all. But I'm not a believer. I don't have any faith in me. Jim unbuckled his seatbelt mid-landing and stood over the man, which caused quite a stir with the flight crew. (laughs) Well, that's quite all right, brother, he said. Jesus says that it's what's inside of you is what's wrong with the world. I'm going to speak faith into you. And he proceeded with the absolution. In the name of Jesus Christ and by his authority, I declare the entire forgiveness of all your sins. Flabbergasted, the man balked again. You can't do that. (laughs) To which Pastor Jim responded, I can, and I just did, and I will do it again. And he did. The man began weeping uncontrollably until finally he began laughing uncontrollably. All the way down the tarmac to the gate. As the two men were grabbing their overhead luggage, Jim grabbed the man's hand and gave him his card and said, you're, not, you're likely not going to believe your forgiveness tomorrow or the next day or a week from now. When you stop having faith in it, call me and I'll bear witness to you all over again. And I'll keep on doing it until you do. You really do. Trust and believe it. The man did. He called him no joke every day until the day he died just to hear the declaration spoken over him in Christ Jesus. Surrendering to this absolution became something he couldn't live without. What if this surrender was available to all of us here today? Friends, this is the good news. 
Your forgiveness, your acceptance by God, does not depend on how you're feeling here today. Or how certain you are. Or how successful you've been. Jesus moves towards you. Just as he came to those fearful disciples in that upper room. And he says to you, peace be with you. Will you believe it? And will you bear witness to this message of grace to one another and to the world? God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ, and you're invited to be a part of it. The Christian faith is not about having everything figured out. It's not about having every one of your questions and doubts answered. It's about learning to surrender and to trust a person. And when you're not sure if you can really trust him, you just have to look at his hands and his side to be reminded that his love is real. Then maybe we'll stop listening to our fears and let him breathe on us and hear him say, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. None of us here today have seen you with our eyes or touched you with our hands, but we've received the testimony from others, from faithful witnesses who have proclaimed to us the word of life. By your grace, would you meet each one of us where we are today? Uh, provide whatever we need in this moment. If it is faith, give us faith. If it is hope, give us hope. If it is love, give us love. We receive all that you have for us as a gift. Empower us by the power of your spirit, not only to receive these gifts, but to share them with others. In Christ's name we pray, and for his sake, amen.